by owning our mistakes fully and graciously and without ever putting ourselves into it. Like I didn't mean to do that or like I'm so, but just keeping it on them, keeping keeping it on the wrong that you did to them saying, Oh God, I I hear how hurt you are. My heart breaks that you feel that way. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You just kind of hear people out long enough and you got to be sincere about it. And I felt horrible for this man. He was so helpful on the story. He was a great interview and, um, and people will let you be fallible if you're also committed to being accountable. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm Sandeep Rao and I'm so happy that you are joining me for this episode. Um, the world is coming to <laughs> just just anything, right? Um, no, man, you know, it, it's, it's a very interesting end of the year. It's already, what, we're sitting, um, closing in last week of November coming up soon and it just feels like this year has gone by with war, 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 and mm, crazy other shit and climate change. And it just seems like there's been, and the World Cup, which just got over last week. I, I don't know where I really want to go with this. It's just, I just feel the highlights of this year, um, which a lot of people are trying to make into highlights aren't really there. Um, because when we are constantly living with reels and, and TikTok and Highlights already being there. Uh, what do you make a highlight of, right? Like, because when you have a slower, more kind of, I won't say dull existence, but it was, I, I remember when, when, when this was not so crazy and so much of a whirlwind, there seemed to be a bit of like, you know, a, a slower, a slower phase. It would build up and then again, it would slow down. Like you would look forward to that, but it feels like that has gone from, Every few months you have that build up to every week or just every day. So when that's the kind of trend and the thing, the year itself doesn't have, you know, we'd look for a December because friends would come down or you would come back from holidays, for, come back for holidays, you, everyone would get together. Now just, I think the excitement of things have, have reduced because it's always constant excitement going on. And it's like, you know, it's like coming 30 times a day. <laughs> it just tires you out, right? Uh, as opposed to like, whoa, man, you got that magazine. Can I borrow it? And like, whoa, that one weekend is, you know, <laughs> I don't know why. But it uh, takes me back, those fond memories, those blonde memories. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I... I um, I was talking to my wife about this, right? Like I, I'm trying to enjoy more and more of the things I can do because it, it's trying to appreciate my remaining sight because I don't know if it's dropping that drastically, but it feels like I can't see the things that I could um, as clearly anymore. So <laughs> this has nothing to do with the, you know, the blonde or the fond memories, but a little bit. It's, it's just a fun thing to experiment with without being all heartbroken going, oh, okay, now what if? So sometimes, like this morning I woke up and I closed my eyes and tried walking around the house. Maybe in a couple of years, maybe never, maybe in five years that that might become a reality where I don't have to close my eyes, but it just think. So it's it's fun to play around with um, what you what you have with 
you know, we play around with tools and with learning new skills and with going on Canva and trying to make how better thumbnails or whatever, whatever floats your boat. So play around with your senses. Um, I'm not saying like, you know, buy a wheelchair and thing, but it's, 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 it's more a mental thing. Like what if, what if I can't walk? What if I can't hear? What if I can't see? Um, it just gives you a sense of reality, a sense of, okay, you know what? I'm not going to take everything for granted. It doesn't, or it could just be a fun thing, you know, it could just be, Hey, what am I going to do today? Am I going to watch a new show on Netflix? Am I, am I just going to spend the entire day blindfolded? That might be a nice experiment or put, yeah, I mean, most of us put headphones and jam up the volume and put noise cancelling. I, I think, yeah, but that's still music going in. But what if it's complete silence? It's just fucking scary for me. Yeah, that's really scary. Like when, you know, you go underwater and your ears get blocked. Like, oh, terrifying. I, I, yeah. I don't know, man. I don't think I can ever do scuba diving because that's one thing, which is too many things, which is, I don't like um, the face plate which covers my nose. I don't like that 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 regulator which is in my mouth. I don't like being um, underwater for so long, and I don't like the ocean because of fucking jaws. So all those things go to make scuba diving a very unappealing activity, and this has um, nothing to do with my eyes or lack of. It's just something I don't like doing. Yeah, there are people who enjoy that kind of activity. So, you know, hats off to you or masks off to you, whatever the, the term is. Ohoy, mate. Hmm. Strange things, dude. Because I um don't really know what to say about anything else right now. Just looking forward to um the next few weeks towards the end of the year and see what that brings and what's in store for us human beings. And um, yeah, again, if you uh, want to reach out to me, say hello and have a chat. I don't even have a chat. But anyway, you can write in at the Soapy Rao, not the, just Soapy Rao Show at gmail.com. And I, would, of course, would appreciate it if you could share these episodes with people who are like-minded, who in fact might in fact not be like-minded. People who like listening to a podcast will help if you could give the show a rating on the podcast app you listen to your podcast on. If you can like and share to the YouTube video and channel and subscribe and share and do the lovely things that will help me get this out there to the world. But before any of that, let's talk about today's guest. Ronnie Polonatsky is joining me on today's episode to talk about the things that she does. Deliberate listening is something that she's focused on. She's a journalist, a reporter. She is now a practitioner of positive psychology. She's a keynote speaker speaking about listening. Now, of course, listening is something we all want to talk about. Oh, I'm a great listener. Are we? Because listening comes with judgment. It comes with reaction. It comes comes with the need for a person who's listening to win the argument. We're in this day where it's very combative. It's very judgmental. It's very winning and crushing the arguments that we're in. But what does it mean to listen with curiosity, with kindness, with compassion? Ronnie's here to talk to me about that today, and I'm sure you'll enjoy the conversation because it's a lot of stuff that I resonate with, and I'm sure you resonate with. It's experiences that Ronnie's been through, it's experiences that you and I have been through, and uh, we speak about a lot of things that is going on in the world around us at this point. So, Without further ado, here's my conversation with Ronnie Polonatsky. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode. Ronnie, thank you so much for joining me on 
the Soapy Rao Show. It's a pleasure having you here today. Oh, thank you. It is so lovely to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I mean, the last time we spoke, it was, uh, I think, an episode in itself. So it's almost like a continuation of our last episode, which people didn't get um, a chance to listen to. Hey, you know, it's 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 too bad for them. I don't, I didn't record it. So it's not their fault. Yeah. So, uh, did you record? Um, did I didn't, you, record you know, almost, I mean, I was in two minds going, I should just record this, but I didn't want to sort of start recording without you know, uh, being prepared for it. And because some people are like, how could you record it without my knowing? I'm like, it shows yeah, up as yeah. recording on your screen. And you can just say, Hey, can you stop that? You know, it's not like I'm doing anything. Cool <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So like, if we make a point, we could say, well, this probably won't be clear to you all listeners, but oh, well, you had to be here, you know, but I guess yeah. that's not a good way to do a podcast. <laughs> no, I think we can just go back and uh, do the entire thing again, because it was so much fun. It was um, so fun. It was so fun. I'm so excited to talk to you today because there are so many things I want to cover, which uh, we did we, we did kind of address, but I want to take it further in in, in depth. Um, you know, initially, though, before we just started, I, I was talking to you about the, um, the the kind of the nature of this conversation, which I try to kind of um, do on the podcast, right, which is this without an agenda, without this, 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 uh, without this kind of um, need to impart a message because in, in today's day, mm. um, this format especially is encouraging a lot of people to give advice, right? They, they, people, especially people who are listening, of course, um, demand it so that there's a resulting, uh, you know, increase in podcasters doing this rules to, to, to make money or rules to be happy or rules to be more successful or rules to be more yeah. of a better partner. So I want mm-hmm. to understand if that's the nature of where demand and supply in this space are, especially in the format of podcast, which is more listening, is more long form, what is the the what is determining that? Because when people want to be told how to get um, better as a husband in three steps, or how to find a partner or the love of their lives, and so when it comes to that nature of where we are, uh, uh, does that mean we are willing to listen to the ones who are successful in this? Or is it just that it's a quick fix that people are looking for? And if that doesn't work, they just go on to the next quick fix. Right, right. Um, I think it can be sort of a mix of both, but I think underneath it is a kind of fear. Um, The fear is I'm doing something wrong. I will be judged. Please stop me before I do something wrong so that I'm not judged. Because once I'm judged, I might be kicked out of the tribe and then I don't belong. And our exact thing that drives our behavior as human beings are we know that we need to be connected. And so we can tend to think that anything that has the potential to cut us off from that is something to be terrified by, right? So- I mean, look, on the one hand, I could say, wow, I'd love to hear three things I can do, you know, to be a better, um, you know, a better wife to my husband when I'm tired or whatever. So those are some real kind of tips and those are great. Um, But I think part of what you're hitting on is that some podcasts, there's a real transactional nature to it. Like you're going to, you know, you're going to come in, here's what we're going to give you. You're going to walk away with this. Mm. And so that can go in sort of thinking, okay, then that's the end result. So I'm listening for that end result. And in some ways, great. But I love the nature of what we're doing is we're saying, 
you know, an hour, an hour and 20 minutes from now, I wonder what we will have talked about. And so mm. there is this feeling of curiosity. There's a feeling of trust that whatever comes up, it's not going to harm me. I don't need to know ahead of time every single thing that's going to come up in order to be safe enough to have this conversation. So there's kind of a trust. And there's also really beautifully, I think, just a creativity beneath it, because it's two people listening very deeply to each other, hearing each other, um, and really understanding each other fully. And then you add curiosity on top of that. And who knows where it could go? I like it can get really great. It can get really great. So, so I do think that there's something in the culture right now that makes us afraid of something that looks that kind of wild. Like, oh boy, I don't know what are the parameters, and it's like. Where, where I hope that I will come from more in my own life as I get older and wiser is to trust that I have everything in me to handle whatever comes up, whatever feeling comes up. Uh, you know, you say something, I get a little nervous. I'm like, okay, Ronnie, that won't kill you. Uh, that's your feeling. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, how will you, you know, can you authentically respond? And so that's why I think if you have a bedrock of understanding that listening is where I am more interested in hearing what you have to say than trying to judge it. That can create this culture of safety and mutual trust in the conversation. And within that, two people can be fully who they are. And that is so fun. Like it ends up being fun. It's really fun because it's not worried. It's not neurotic. It doesn't shut anything down, you know? So it just... It gives the conversation of something something that is broadening and broadening and broadening. And within that really widening, widening breath, if that's not too redundant, there are all kinds of choices about what to focus on, what to let go of, what to kind of choose in the moment. And so I think that is why I love to do, I love to have conversations like this, where there's a basic parameter, I guess, that says, let's meet and talk and tell me some stuff and we'll see where it's going to go. Mm. And if you go in with a full heart and curiosity and compassion and interest, it can go really fun places. And I find that such a, uh, an amazing human potential, right? Because when we mm -hmm. um, are able to do that, um, commit to that idea of, connecting with an, with another human being it really brings out the, the 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 meaning of what it is to be a human being in the moment connecting passing on experiences at the same time we live in today's um you know the the narrative where words like authenticity and connection and meaningful connection and mm -hmm. uh words like slow living and safe zones and triggers are all existing where it's it, it it is rewarded to use these words in conversation, but mm. it seems like no one feels these concepts in conversation because, as you just pointed out, to 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 be authentic, you need to make mistakes. You need to show all sides of yourself, which might not be accepted, and which might not be the the popular acceptance of what people should be. But it feels like authenticity is a certain person's version of authenticity which is accepted by a certain popular sentiment or a popular uh, 
a popular group within a cultural context. And just like that, when you say, I can say something which might hurt you or offend you or which might um, over, you know, which might go against your sensibilities. But that is what conversation is, right? Not just saying the, 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 the 10 things or the three things, the acceptable things, and then come out at the, at the other end saying we had such a, an amazing conversation. But amazing because we just ticked those boxes because we said those right words. We signaled those, uh, those, those, those things which need to be signaled and fulfilled for a conversation to be uh, to, to pass the mark or pass the bar, which is ac- as acceptable conversation. But when you're truly uh, saying something, you take time, you might not know the answer. And at that moment, you might even put a s- certain idea out, which you believe in, but which might not be, which might not agree with you, or you might not, you know, that, that sentiment might be something which completely upsets you. But getting through that and explaining your view and my view and my me listening to you and you listening to me is how we work out these things, which is my life comes with a set of experiences, which made me who I am. Your life did the same thing to you. And we are here today as two human beings. Yes. But with completely mm-hmm. different sets of stories, but we're willing to exchange it and say, I'm willing to hear your story. You are willing to hear my story. And isn't that the exchange that makes us at the end of the conversation truly authentic, if that's that's something we want, but at the same time, um, walk away feeling I've connected with another human being and I've come away with changes in my uh, the, the way I view things and also gaining other things that that person um, has experienced through their life. And is and that's something which is, it doesn't have to always be positive and happy and you walk away feeling inspired, but it could be you walk away feeling, man, that, that was an annoying thing. But you're thinking, you're listening. And I think that that's something we don't have. Uh, even though the words that we use to describe it are all up there, but I don't think the feeling, which is a lot of, a lot of discomfort when you have these things, people don't feel yeah. that. Right. I, it's, it's tricky. It's tricky, isn't it? Um, mm. I I think what maybe we're both touching upon is that what is necessary in a conversation is to presume the other that each of you has goodwill. You know, we both want to presume. I'm going to presume that you are coming in goodwill, in good faith, and I would like you to presume that about me as well, mm-hmm. and that. This is where really closely listening, suspending judgment so that you can really hear what your judgments may be keeping you from hearing will Mm. earn you all kinds of goodwill. And then especially if you're sort of paraphrasing it back and saying, it sounds to me like what you're saying is A, B, and C. Uh, Did I get that right? And when people hear you say, did I get that right? They know that you're not listening to create a counter argument or to correct them. They know that you're listening because you want to understand. And once that, especially in the beginning of a conversation, once that happens, it really does, I have found, lay the lay the groundwork for so much of what comes next. Mm-hmm. And if you really, you know, just say you're having a difficult conversation and with somebody who, you know, you maybe disagree fundamentally with about a certain thing, you know, call it politics, you know, think of any number of our really... Um, sort of combative differences on different issues. Mm. If you listen with compassionate curiosity, because you don't want to forget 
the person in front of you, you are in a relationship with. So you want to have respect and care for the relationship. And if I can remember that going into a conversation, I can think, all right, so how will I think? No, how will I listen and choose my words so that I'm protecting this precious thing called our relationship, protecting it and caring for it, you know? So, and that doesn't mean that you um, hold back, but there's a way to speak. There's a way to say, you know, I mean, it, it's so funny. I, I, I'm going to digress for just a second and give an example. I found this essay I wrote, oh my gosh, 30, 35 years ago. It was on Father's Day and it was for my dad. And uh, he and I disagreed until the day he died about uh, a woman's right to choose and pro-choice stuff. And so I had to call and tell him that I wouldn't see him on his birthday because I was going to Washington, D.C. to march for reproductive rights. Mm. And uh, boy, (laughs) I thought this is going to feel like a slap in the face. I'm choosing this issue that he detests over acknowledging his birth, right? Now we had had, I mean, we always had a good relationship. We're both, we, we were, he's now passed, but we were both very opinionated. And what I noticed at that point, I was about, uh, I don't know, maybe 30, 28, 30. Um, I told him and something had changed between us. And I think the conversation ended up being beautiful that left us both in tears And the tears were that um, one of us, and and I even wrote this, I couldn't remember who, said, uh, maybe you have a point on this thing. Somebody was gracious enough to say, say, maybe you have a point. And the other was gracious enough to then extend that back to them. And suddenly we were having a conversation where it was clear We both disagreed entirely with each other, but we were so curious and interested about why the person felt that way. And I discovered just these deeper, deeper parts of my dad that he never shared. And it wasn't because he withheld them. It was just because he never thought to share them, you know, and he heard different parts of me. And, you know, I'm going to get choked up thinking about it now, but by the time we hung up, he just said, I love you so much. I'm so proud of the woman you've become. And I said, thank you for all you've ever done for me and for us. And we left seeing each other almost as fully whole in and of themselves. It wasn't required for both of us to have the same brains (laughs) and the same opinions. And, but we saw each other as whole. And we loved that the other one wanted to see us that way. And we both left feeling heard and feeling loved and feeling like we would not be cut off from each other just because we disagreed on something that each of us found fundamentally important. Um, so it's, it's you, you have to, I think with conversations, if you do begin presuming goodwill, even with somebody who say you don't have a pre-existing relationship like I did with my dad, just go in thinking, I'm going to presume goodwill here. And if you react to them as though you presume it, even if it's not said, you can feel that the tenor of the conversation has has opened up a little bit. It's gotten less judgy and more like we are meeting on, say, shared ground here. 
uh, to sort something out. Let me keep presuming the best of you. I hope you will keep presuming the best of me. And let's see what we can do with that. And you might begin the conversation thinking, this is exactly what I know we have to get to. You have an endpoint in mind. But that's only when the conversation is between you and yourself in your head or you and the person you presume them to be. And you've worked that all out. The actual experience is where you both bring something much bigger. And, you know, conversation between two people becomes more than the sum of just the two people. There could be this third entity born. And oftentimes that entity is the relationship, right? So um, it's, if I can keep reminding myself, this is fun. (laughs) This is why we're here on this earth, I believe. We need each other. Um, We can be united so much more often then we're divided, but it is a choice. It's a choice. And sometimes, and I'll cop to this myself, sometimes I will go with the loudest voices in the room because I want to belong to them, you know? Um, Not all the time, and it could be about anything. It could even be about watching a football game, you know? And I'm like, Mm -hmm. they look like they're having more fun. I think I'll go be on their side. Um, It could be that, but it it does become a, a choice. That's why, you know, when I do my speaking about listening, I call it how to be a more deliberate listener. So there's there's different ways of listening that we can choose on purpose. And there's sometimes I've had conversation and only in retrospect, I go, wow, that was that was really great. I was a great listener, but I, I didn't know how to deconstruct it so that I could remember in the future that really good, beautiful, deep listening doesn't have to be a thing that happens coincidentally. You can actually choose it. So um, that's a really long answer to your question. <laughs> yeah, but it's 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 backed with so many uh, things that are essential, right? Like from a father daughter relationship to sure. Um, all of us have this kind of relationship when there is certain past um, conditioning or certain things that you feel you are responsible to your parent for, and mm-hmm. you either completely echo them or you don't even talk to them because you develop your um, a, a sense of ideology to just just to rival them to irritate them or to to become their enemy and there's so many families that are split like that but hearing mm-hmm. what your, your 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 father and you did I think it takes a lot of as you said the gracious aspect to that which I find lacking in today's day and age where people are uh, combative People are mm-hmm. uh, looking to react. So when they listen, it's almost like not even a, a debate, but they're looking at like an information war, how, how much yeah. you know versus how much I know. And by mm-hmm. not coming out of this conversation on top or mm-hmm. not looking like I've owned this conversation, it's a sign of weakness. And how can I uh-huh. be weak in, a, in, a, in, in an age where there's an information overload? And as a result, you have people want i'm not saying experts are important but when it comes to things like mental health and depression and uh clinical situations where people are um trained to help then you have now someone who's just been through something having you know the opportunity to to tell people how to live their life if they're going through depression and without any accountability i'm just going on an example of what people are doing or someone who's never uh written a book or, or or directed a movie having the absolute 
um, certainty with which they enter an argument and the the power of going online and destroying the reputation of the director or the actor, which mm-hmm. of course opinions are opinions, but my point is there is the 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 need for gracious conversation is no longer a requirement between humans because you can hide behind mm. virtual um profiles you can wow that's yeah and it's scary in some way because if and as you said walking away as two human beings at the end of that with phone call it gives you the right to live your life with your entire in its entirety right with all the mistakes all the good things all the right decisions all the the, the, the things that worked out, the things that didn't work out. And similarly for your dad, the time when you grew up and he grew up were different, but you're giving recognition to the life that he lived, the life that you live and what it mm-hmm. um, took you down, which path. But I feel, we, again, kind of this, this this goes back to the first thing I asked you, I mentioned with the the right words, the right concepts to think. It's, if, if we're not giving people a chance uh, to to make their point, uh, because mm-hmm. it doesn't suit an agenda, it doesn't suit a certain uh, narrative, then aren't we going to deny the, the a chance for people to live their lives because they are, quote-unquote, violating the way life should be lived, according to a certain number of people? And this this whole listening thing, I, I think, is, is happening more to react, saying, I will not listen to... Uh, deliberately, as you put it, but I will listen uh, because it's the, the 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 points I need to make my counter argument, and right. it only goes right. so far, right? It's it's kind of mm-hmm. it's it, it's a very limited loop which doesn't allow for either person to grow. It's one person crushing the other, right? One person crushing the other. That is such a good way to put it. Um, it depends. It depends a lot on the context, right? I mean, if you're someone talking to a boss who has, like, I think, I think if there's a power dynamic, mm. perceived or otherwise, that can really influence both how we listen and whether we feel listened to. So, you know, I think I think different different factors come into it, but I think power has more of an impact than we think. And sometimes if people feel powerless, they are going to use whatever uh, vehicle of power they could have access to, to take some of that power back, you know? Mm-hmm. And interestingly, what happens in the brain is that when people perceive that they have power over someone, let's just say that power over someone, it could impede their ability to really listen to the person who they have power over because they're not perceived as a threat. So we are always listening. I mean, humans, our brains developed to keep us safe all the time. Um, Our brains have not caught up with where we are at now socially and where we are. I mean, I do not have tigers at the door trying to get in. Um, Mm. Some places in the world, of course, obviously that still exists, but, but our prayers are, I mean, our prayers, our brains are still very primitive in that way. So um, I think some of our constructs right now in society are set up to make us think that we are under constant threat. Um, we're under constant threat. Um, you know, we look at what our, our politicians want you to think that without them, you are going to die. Um, yeah. 
know, people in abusive relationships will say, uh, if I don't, if I don't, if I don't, if I'm not in your life, you will, you know, it's going to be bad. I mean, there's this sense that, um, that I just totally lost my particular thought. <laughs> um, I can go back. What did I just say, Sophie? <laughs> uh <laughs> No, can we the, cut this part out? <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, I can. Uh, we, we, no problem at all. You know, it, what you were saying makes a lot of sense. And I'll just, you know, get back to that point. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it is, right? Because we we are um, um, at some, at a time, I suppose, which is the safest we've been. Of course, I'm not talking uh, about the blanket population, right? There are a lot of people. There's a lot of extremes, a lot of disparity. I get it. But sure. for the most part, there's. We, as you said, we don't have tigers knocking on the door. I mean, I don't know if they knock, but we don't have tigers at the door. Um, <laughs> They're very yet, polite. Tigers. Very polite. Yeah, yeah. Just just one claw, even a cured <laughs> <Yeah>. claw. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but it is, uh, there is this sense of dread. Dread and threat. Oh, I know what I was going to say, right? Yes. Dread, threat, and that because there's dread and threat, I better have power. I better find power and execute it wherever I can. And that feeling is really exacerbated on different forms, especially of social media, because that's where you can just show, like you can one-up people with the touch of a button mm. and suddenly you have power. But, so that would be the tiger you were talking about, which is at your door th- thousands of years yeah. back. Now it's that threat level, which is not no longer the tiger and such a large beast that only kills for food, but it is a fellow, your classmate or your ex-girlfriend or boyfriend or your yeah. uh, someone who's uh-huh. got that threat and the and the ability and the willingness to execute it in less than a second uh-huh. and over and over yeah. within a minute. And that's just continuous bombardment bombardment of threats right yeah yeah oh absolutely and so then you know there's there's this fear fear of being dominated who gets to dominate um i think that what i have seen you know i'm like i knew the world before social media and i know it now Mm -hmm. and it has nurtured the very worst parts of say who we were when we were adolescents, you know, like how often when you're 12 years old, you're a teenager, everything, it's, something happens. It's the end of the world. And if you have a good parent, they're like, calm down. This is not all about you. Take a deep breath. You're going to have to go talk to this person, like somebody who would like rein you in so that you could be, and, and you know, while your brain is just catching up, you know, your brain is ca- catching up and as your brain is maturing. So, Social media is like pulling all of us back to adolescence where all we're doing is reacting (laughs) and we're reacting so that we can say, you're not the boss of me. I mean, like when I was growing up, right. If somebody like I would tell my siblings, they would try to tell me what to do. I'm like, you're not the boss of me. I mean, it's so adolescent. Now we have full grown ass adults acting in ways that are saying, you're not the boss of me. And I'm thinking, you're the boss of you. So stop acting like someone else is, you know, so it rewards that. 
Or and, headlines You know, do. as a parent think... would scold me or those words can't even be said. It's sacrilege, right? Saying scold and yell at because it's like, my God, your parent yelled at you. And no, yeah. you would, when you were acting stupid or you would you would throw this <laughs> tantrum because they're not talking to me in school. They're like, you know what? It's yeah. You'll find new friends or they'll say something like, yeah. it's okay. They, maybe right. they, they, they're immature. They're kids. They're fools. So they'd use these words. Maybe we're too yes. sensitive to hear those words now. But you wake up the next morning going, you know what? It's not the end of the world, man. I'll go to school and come back. But now, what do those kids do when they hear that? They attack their, the parents of the enemy. They go back to those friends saying, my parents, I'm the victim of my parents. And they form these yes. support groups and they're celebrated online going, your parents hate you. You know, how your parents are out to control your life. Like, how bad is that? And that message and no longer is the break from the end of the school day to the next day. It's, 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 it's continued. It is amplified because that that kid who left school with that thought in his or her head or whichever gender they are now is now 100 times exposed to the same thing and they're being pushed into a corner. It seems like the world is caving in and they can't trust the people who are supposed to be their shepherds who are their parents. Well, you know, I mean, that's... Can that happen? Absolutely. Absolutely. I also think that it's on parents to understand that adolescence now looks a hundred times different than it did when we were mm. um, young, younger. And so that is where I think your kid comes home from school and you say, let's all put away our phones. How are you? Yeah. What's going on in that space? Kids, this, you know, kids know kids are so much smarter than, than we think. And they may get, there's no substitute for just talking to your kid and really yeah. listening and making the time. And you can set ground rules. And if they freak out, you can say, look, I know you're freaked out. One day you'll understand, but I can't wait for that day. So here's, what's, here's what we're going to do. And there'll be a consequence if it doesn't happen. Know that I love you. Please trust me. And if you don't, I am grown up enough to handle it. Like, Just, you know, you can do that. You can do it. Um, so I think there's there's no substitute for just acknowledging the relationship and then caring for it. And as a parent, we have to care for it. And when you're, you know, when you're an adolescent and you're just saying, you know, no one understands me, the world is horrible, horrible. In an ideal world, you have a parent who likes it, who is able to be the other half of your brain and go, okay, but is that really true hundred percent of the time? Okay. But think of the time when it did go well. Okay. You know, like so you have a parent, who could balance out that stuff until eventually you get older, bigger, your brain matures somewhere around the age of what, 90 or whatever the heck it is these days. And so those other parts of your brain will have developed as well. Um, yeah. I think social media speeds a lot of it up. I think it makes it, makes it a lot more difficult for parents. And um, I think that doesn't relieve us as parents of doing the hard work, which is new. Like it's a new form of hard work. Like, hell, how do we do this now? I don't know, but I guess it's on you to figure this out because you're the parent, you know? Yeah. And so go get some books, go talk with your friends, go consult with people who you think may be able to give you some good counsel about how to approach things. I mean, I think in our last conversation, the thing that I used to do with my kid, she's now 27, but it, it earned me a lot of grace. When she was like, say uh, five, five years old, just say we're having dinner and I have a knife and I'm cutting some meat. And she's like, no, 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 I can do it myself. And she's really, you know, you know, and she's angry because she's trying to be a big girl. And when I said to her, 
uh, okay, thanks for telling me that. Um, you know, when you were four, I had to do this for you. And I knew that at four years old, this is what you needed. I don't know what you need right now at five. So I don't know how to be the mother of a five-year-old, but I'm learning. So you're going to have to calm it down and we're going to learn together. And then I did that for the next 10 years. Something would come up and she would just chafe and be like, like, no, but because she had grown her ability and her need for greater independence had expanded. I didn't know what it was until she let me know loud and clear the way teenagers do. And I would say to her, look, you know what I'm going to say? I know how to be the parent of a 15 year old because I've had a whole year to, to learn. Now you're 16. It sounds like things have changed. Put down your phone and we're going to talk. Tell yeah. me what it is. What's it like to be 16? Let me tell you, you know, let me, let me listen. Let me mm. listen. And, you know, you do that enough times over time with your kids. You, you build in a lot of grace. You build in a lot of trust. And they also learn, they also see that, okay, mom and dad clearly do have a lot of wisdom and a lot, they have more than me. But and they make time to- for me. And they make time for me and they're willing to say they get it wrong. So they see that apologizing and owning your shit Mm. is possible. And okay, if mom and dad can do it, okay. Like you don't want them to see you as infallible. You want them to see you as trustworthy. And and, 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 and you have to earn that. Uh, But don't we all have to earn it in all of our relationships? We do. And I think that's the beautiful thing of growing up, right? We think of growing up as these five, six measures that we are, uh, judged by, which is of course all outward, which is all these um, things like money and investment and and success and uh, financial worth or whatever it may be your your standing in society. But what about these things? As you said, this ability to recognize that you don't know, or this ability to, to admit that you are learning with your child, and to admit to your child who. People are like, are you crazy? No, you can't admit weakness to your child or they call it weakness or your your lack of not knowing. They should, you should yeah. put your child everything. You should put up this front that I know everything. And But all these things, the problem I see it as is that it's a generation of insecure people raising a generation of insecure people <laughs> and breeding insecurity into the next generation because they don't know. So instead of this child coming home who's like, no one's talking to me and the mother or the father saying it's okay, I'll sit you down yeah. or maybe talk to them. They're like, are you, no one's talking to you. No one's talking to me on Facebook. You know, it's just, yeah. it's like yeah. this, it's yeah. like, a, it's ridiculous. I don't uh-huh. point fingers at the kids, but yeah. it clearly goes to show that these tools like social media, Facebook, whatever you think, it's not just, it, it sadly has got the, the, the youngest hooked because they've been exposed to it from a much younger age. But okay. why is it that so many people in their 50s and 60s are hooked to these WhatsApp groups? If they're thrown out by the admin, they feel like crap or they have to be a part of this forwarding uh, epidemic where they have to keep forwarding shit to each other or they have to be a part of these these um, uh, these, these, these uh, movements, as you see, right? Like the, the ice bucket challenge or jumping the box challenge or whatever challenges on thing or, or having these TikTok reels where they have to dance like someone to get attention, to do all these things, because clearly they have some baggage which they don't want to face. And that insecurity well, I'm, is... I'm going yeah. hmm, Go to push back a little bit. I, yeah. I want to push back on you here a little bit. Um, it sounds like you're making judgments about a big swath of people without actually knowing individually why someone does it, you know? Yeah. I mean, 
uh, I have, I mean, I didn't do the ice bucket challenge. Somebody sent it to me and I'm like, no, I'm not, I don't want to. Yeah. Uh, they, they had so much fun doing it. Yeah. They met other people. They connected with people they never would have connected with. Yeah. They found out about something that they loved. Um, I think the question should always be, is this helping you or hurting you? Yeah. If, if getting all upset because something you forwarded isn't liked, um, if that's getting you worked up, so maybe you pause and go, why would that be? And then maybe you talk to someone who will help, who will really listen while you figure that out. Um, if doing an ice bucket thing makes you so happy and just tickles you and delights yeah. you, have at it. You know, I think yeah. the question is, where's the harm? Is there harm yeah. and what is it? <clears throat> um, and now, then the point I was trying to make with that, I totally agree yeah. with you. If you're throwing ice down you, I didn't do it as a challenge, but we used to do that as kids, right? Put ice down each other's back, like in some, some yeah, fun right, way. Right. Yeah. But yeah. No, I think what I was trying to get without um, making blanket statements is this yeah. trend where it's, it is a human thing, right? I mean, I'm not saying by any means I've, uh, looked at all the skeletons in the in my closet and made peace with all of them. Of course, it's a growing thing, and in many cases, you spend your entire life doing it, and that's the beauty of it, right? You you pick up some new fears, you let go of some old ones, you have some new insecurities, yeah. some new things which are making you think, and and that's your journey, and that's your thing. Some people figure out what gets them going much young at a much younger age. Some people take a lot more, and that's beautiful. That's how each of us are different. What mm -hmm. I was uh, specifically trying to understand and also refer to is this, the, the way these tools and the way we are expected to communicate is, 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 is kind of almost amplifying that aspect of us, just like how you said earlier, that it is playing to a certain side of humanity, which mm -hmm. a lot of us would be happy growing past, but it's almost mm -hmm. like anchoring us back there. And I'm not saying right. there's nothing wrong with taking up a challenge or taking up a nice dance with, uh, which has gone viral on TikTok and yeah, doing it with yeah. your family. Nothing wrong with that. But when the the motivation behind it comes from a place of insecurity or lack of self worth, I'm right. not judging the person, but I'm just saying it's really bad uh, yeah. for their um, mm -hmm. for their own uh, way they look at themselves because it all depends on the validation they get for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, 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 I hear exactly what you're saying. I do. I hear it. And um, wait, there was one thing you just said. Oh, about it <clears throat> anchoring us. I, I think I think now social media, the Internet has so connected us that we really are almost like a global sensibility. Mm -hmm. And then there's a power within that. It's like, okay. And in, the, in, in a thing called <clears throat> a global sensibility, what part of that is going to dominate? Is it going to mm. be this adolescent brain? Is it <laughs> going to be an altruistic brain? Yeah. Is it going to be a wise brain? And usually like in the course of a human life, we all go, hopefully we all evolve through that. You know, we're a child and we're an adolescent, then we get some experience and we screw things up and come back again in our twenties and thirties and stuff. So we are allowed, so we progress along the whole human continuum. And I think when our communities are tiny and small, we sort of do that without having to say, is this a right or wrong thing? It just is what it is for each person. With now that we're sort of globally connected, it's almost like there's not the space for it to be as complex 
and nuanced and individual and evolutionary per person. It's like what loudest scream is going to get the attention, mm. which loudest scream, which loudest viewpoint is going to have the power. And this is that power thing. Again, people, it's like, it can feel really good to be dominant and to have power. Um, it means that I don't need to worry about my survival because I'm the big cheese, man. I'm in, I'm in charge. So I think this is where we can reassert the truth that we have choice. We have choice about who to listen to. We have choice about what we say. And if we are going to participate in this big global sensibility, this big global conversation, if we do it with compassion, kindness, and curiosity, that can change our experience of it. It can certainly change others' experience of how they see us. Um, And with you know, I, I think what, what concerns me is that sometimes, you know, I think we, we do have to be careful in how we comport ourselves in this big global thing. Careful meaning um, there's a lot of people listening. We don't know who's listening. Yeah. But if we always err on the side of kindness, curiosity, compassion, It doesn't mean that we're not true or honest. It means that we're bringing additional ways of looking for truth through kindness, compassion, curiosity. Yeah. Then I think that is, that's almost like the way that we can remain civil in this global community that we all participate in. And I do think if you do that and someone really comes after you anyway, it is really okay to say, you know what? I think that I don't, I don't like, I may try to say, um, it sounds like what I said upset you. Did I get that right? (laughs) Um, Can you tell me more about that, et cetera? Like you can even use that as a way to begin a new conversation. If you choose to, if you choose to, you know, um, my time is limited um, on this earth for sure. But even day to day, my time is limited. And I want to be, I realize I could be in those kind of conversations all the time with people Um, but those could be sort of depleting for me. So I want to be, I want to choose wisely the people I want around me. I don't want people who are carbon copies of me, but certainly I really appreciate people who aim to have the same sensibility of curiosity, compassion, um, uh, God forbid, some humor and some affection for this ridiculous state we're in called being human and being alive. I mean, there's very little affection for it it's like we're supposed to detest ourselves for being human for being fallible why yeah. you know why that's ridiculous you know like and i'm you know, five that's foot such four a... and blaming myself for being five foot four it just is <laughs> and you know that's such a weird thing about the humor aspect of it right when um when i was growing up there were jokes uh, about height and about weight um mm-hmm. about someone having crooked teeth and yeah you know about even uh some jokes about you know my 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 eyes and um various things would fly and now of course we live in a time where nothing flies um at the same time you know 35 years back you wrote a, you wrote an essay about the the right to reproduce and 35 years later that right's been taken away so i'm just yeah con- not contrasting the two but putting the two next to each other and going what does it show about us as a as a as a society as a as a group 
And of course, America being a country which a lot of others look to when it comes to some of these um, progressive laws and rights to people, when it comes to whether it's humor or, you know, abortion rights, you Mm -hmm. have a country which is now stripped women of abortion rights, yet jokes which are said by certain people are also being punished. So what is that Mm -hmm. indicative of, right? Because I, I get it. It hurts when yeah. this thing, but just because someone makes jokes, and this is what gets me, right? If a joke is funny, laugh, right? Now, if it's hurtful because it's, there's no joke there, but it's just an insult, I think mm-hmm. you can tell the difference between an insult and a joke. Uh, but mm-hmm. now, sadly, you can't. You can't even have that conversation because, you know, sometimes in, you, you get carried away in humor, right? You say something, someone else comes back at you, you go, and that's how humor grows. And the conversation sometimes goes a little beyond. And, you you know, if you're close enough, you're like, okay, you know what? Bilai went too far. Screw it. Let's just pull it back. But you can't even get there now because immediately it's like, oh, you're typecast into this kind of person. You're a bigot. You don't like this. You don't like gay people. You don't like um, short people. It's everything's thrown at you. And the book and the kitchen sink is thrown at you. If you make one thing statement which was funny but inappropriate yeah and i I find that yeah i just find that extremely unforgiving because we're yeah well i i think you're i think you put your finger on something here i do think that what this global connection has done is um it's exposed us where we have all been exposed to people who are so different from us And we think, well, why can't they just have a sense of humor? I made this joke. I was being funny. If I don't know what their life is like, and it's actually not funny at all. In fact, it just made it worse. um, And they're upset. I think I'd like to know that. And if I know that and I want to keep making the jokes anyway, well, look, we all have a right to do that. But I certainly would not expect that they would suddenly become someone who appreciates my jokes. You know, it's like, I always say, you can make whatever joke you want, but you don't get to control the impact. So, Absolutely. you know. No, I did a thing so, once so uh, where, say, yeah, you're right. Just about what you're saying. I did a show for a small group during the lockdown. And one of the ladies in the audience was not responding to my questions. And I was talking about, you know, being in, a, but being married in, in the lockdown. And every time I asked her a question, she wouldn't respond. And someone later told me she lost her husband recently and I didn't know this right and it wasn't like I was trying to provoke her but if she yeah. told me I lost my husband and I went after her that's now my decision and her decision to react right. but the sad right. part now is that everyone will pounce on you the thing is that I'm not saying I'm going to do it and I didn't do it I didn't even know but mm-hmm. I'm just giving in, in, a, in a comedic environment or anything like mm-hmm. when you talk to someone, if I talk to you and you have some insecurity, which I don't know about, but mm-hmm. you have the right to say, hey, you know, I didn't like that. I, 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 I'm a little sensitive about things. Mm-hmm. See, I don't even think there's scope for that conversation, you know? And so what mm-hmm. you would do if you're okay, you're like, you just walk away. But now there's the chance to walk away. It's the, 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 the where it, it's between you and me is no longer there because there is automatically the good, bad, the good side and the bad side. Mm-hmm. And everyone just piles onto the sides. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I want you to talk about that, the great reckoning and what that actually looks like, because yeah. um, a lot of these trends seem to filter down into different countries, because right now, if you look at what happened in Iran with the 
the, the the moral police and that entire the, the, the rioting and then you look at the mm-hmm. january 6th attacks in the us which was an assault on the constitution which mm-hmm. a lot of people don't believe or there was um these instances in india where you know there are farmers being lynched or and there were issues of so, so i'm saying there's such a severe um real problems to those people involved in those but at the same time um it's a human thing but i cannot put myself in any context because i have my own thing so yeah so context is something which is now no longer i don't know if it's relevant but i think it's no longer considered when people are talking because a person sitting in bangalore like me can easily read up on say what happened with trump and comment on it like i know it and say these jokes are not acceptable because and and you can sit here and say you know what's happening in india i'm i'm just trying to make sense of it if it yeah 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 well i think i think here in the states there we are still in the middle of a great reckoning a lot of people who were marginalized and dehumanized for decades for their for their whole lives have awoken and said oh wait that's wrong i i am a human i should not be dehumanized because i am gay or lesbian or trans or why does anyone care i am tired of being dehumanized people used to sort of quietly not even accept their the dehumanization but mm-hmm. it sure wasn't safe to own up to it and so and and you've got people who have say disabilities and they're like i i am more than my disability don't even call me a dis don't call me a disabled person anymore i'm a person i'm my personhood is not disabled i've got legs that don't work or i've got a hearing impairment yeah. i that's that's the thing there and those people are discovering their voice their absolute right to be to be seen heard and known fully to not have their quote shortcoming the thing that people used to dehumanize them held against them in in ways that will um lessen their chances for employment in ways that will lessen their ability to walk down the street unassaulted who will say who are or you know say you cannot you know force me out of this job just because of the thing that you don't like about me so it's people saying who gave you the power to tell me that the authentic wholeness of who i am is not it is not whole right so and they're seeing and this is true that there has been a lot of money to be made over controlling certain people um you know our politics now our politics are so awful um you know we are getting rid of affirmative action because people say well that's just not fair and it's like no we are trying to even out a playing field that has been like this mm-hmm. for generations um you're not going to like what it looks like for a while because it could be that sort of the automatic leg up that you just thought was what it is to be alive was actually a big advantage and so we're going to try to mitigate that sometimes the efforts to mitigate can 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 be overkill for sure they don't go far enough or they go too far i get yeah. it but it certainly is coming from an effort to recognize 
that people have been dehumanized for just being who they are. You know, one of my friends is black and she said, I've been dehumanized because of the way my hair grows out of my head. And it's true. It's true. And so, so we're still in the midst of all of this. We're still in the midst of it. And so it's like the pendulum was over here. And then what social media and this global interconnection has done is it has slammed it like mm-hmm. way over here. And we're like, well, that's too much. It's like, okay, well, so how much is enough? Like if I've, if my life's been perfectly fine with it over here, I'm like, well, when's it get back to here again? Yeah. And the answer is, well, why don't you take, was it really there? Or were you, you know, as Molly Ivan said, the American politician about George Bush Jr. She said he was born on third base and thinks he hit a home run, <laughs> you know? So, so, so I think there has been this big push to say, right. Were you born on third base or did you hit a home run? Right. And, and to recognize that. So I think all of the stuff that we are saying, people get so offended so easily in some ways, I just want to cut people slack for venting and screaming out this pain or whatever has, they have felt forced to hold inside. Like they don't have a right to, they don't have a right to be and to exist. So we, we have sown a lot of seeds of this. And now the, you know, and now the lid is off the pot and we're like, well, we liked it better. Well, you know, so I, I don't, I'm not going to say I have the answers. I'm not going to say that sometimes things don't go too far. It, but is, it just, is a reaction to the, the, yeah, it is I a guess. reaction to the repression. Yeah. No, you see I that so. here yeah. with the, the caste system and the years of abuse that that inflicted on people. And Absolutely. Of, yeah. And that's not similar in, in, in to the race thing, but it is a, it is a, a an oppressive system, which um, mm-hmm. dehumanized people, but yeah. yeah. And that, that is something which uh, one should, and why I think one recognizes mm-hmm. is the, the, mm-hmm. the, the swing when it goes from one extreme to the other, it does. Um, oh, it's disorienting. Yeah. Disorienting. Yeah. yeah. So it seems like a lot of noise, but I, and I want to get to something because um, you spent many years in uh, as a journalist reporting, mm-hmm. covering pieces and writing pieces on different things. And in this space, and I, I you, you, you did, of course, uh, you know, uh, work as a journalist in different fields. But in this idea of the truth, um, yeah. see, because you do tell the story and, 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 and it's always um, shaded with opinions and but the facts were always there. And, but with this new um, window opening up, that the truth can also be different for different people. Mm-hmm. That's a bit mm-hmm. scary to me. That Well, well you're, you're right. It's like weak. And, and I think there is, I think for people who are incurious or threatened, um, saying that, I mean, look, there's the facts and there's my opinions about the facts but I don't want to have opinions about whether something is a fact. Right. Mm. And so I think that is where things have gotten a little wacky. And this is also where disinformation, like there's huge disinformation campaigns that are out there. So that people can say, no, here's, here's the real facts. Here's the other facts. It's like, so, so facts are, I mean, you know, ideally we would know like facts are facts. It's either raining or it's not raining, you know? And then there's different, and then there's different shades and different nuances, right? So, 
for a good 20 of the 23 years that I was with the Philadelphia Daily News and Inquirer, I, I was a columnist. So I wrote commentary. And I was very clear that there were the facts. And then I would say, here's what I think about them. Yeah. And um, the thing that helped me a lot was that I felt very unapologetic about, like, I found that my opinions often skewed toward um, the powerless being, uh, um, if, if powerless people were being abused or ignored, it, it got my back up and I would use my column as a way to sort of level that power playing field Mm -hmm. to amplify a voice that powerful people should have been listening to. And they were not. And those people, sometimes people would say, Oh, I love your column. You give voice to the voiceless. And I would always feel like that's so, um, I mean, number one, Thank you. I mean, I understand what you're saying, like, and I appreciate that. But I would always want to say they've had voices and they've been screaming. And what the media do, what I could do is I could amplify that voice, but they have it. They have it. And the shame on us is why aren't we listening? Why weren't we listening? Whenever people would call or reach out, email, whatever to me and ask if I could write about something that was going on that they were upset about. And that was mostly what people called, um, they were upset about something. I would really, really listen. And, uh, uh, I would say no, a lot of the times, just because I also thought I also have a responsibility to readers. And I think that what's, I don't think this is going to be like a compelling enough thing to make, yeah, to sort of fit the practice of what the column was. And oftentimes with them, I would say, I don't think this is going to work for the column. However, that doesn't mean I think you're wrong. And it doesn't mean that I don't think you've not been wrong. Mm. Um, sounds like maybe you need a lawyer. And then I would, I would give them referrals. I said, you know, here's, you know, sort of a public interest law center that could maybe be able to help you, whatever. But nine times out of 10, when people would pick up the phone and call a journalist, it's because they were, they were on their last nerve. Somebody who should have listened didn't. And now shit was hitting the fan. Things were really going bad. Um, and, I used to think, wow, these people, usually they, <laughs> the people who had, who were doing the wronging, I'm like, they don't notice that they're wrong until something goes horribly wrong. And then it's like, oh boy, you know, and I would feel bad. I would like pick up the phone to call them and say, I'm going to write a column about such and such. I'd like to hear your side of the story. Can you tell me whatever? And oftentimes I thought I'm about to give this person a really bad day because mm. it's going to be horrible for them to feel called out on a thing they should have done. Mm. And I would try to do it with fairness. Um, when I look back, I wish that I'd had a little less kind of attitude with some of it. Like there's sometimes I reveled in that hour, you know, that um, leverage I had there, but mostly people want, and, and again, this is just going to bring us back full circle. We want to be, we want to feel like we have been listened to. People need to be, heard and known and then that will help them feel like they're connected and they belong listening on purpose in a couple ways that create the conditions for that to happen is uh is the antidote for i'd say 90 percent of what ails us the thing that scares me right now is that where our politics are these days is that we have people who just don't even, if they do believe that they don't care because it, because there's nothing in it for them. They want to get reelected 
there'll be more money, there'll be more power, they'll make more connections, they'll take buy, you know, they'll take payoffs for certain contracts. God knows what it's going to be. So, um, but people just so so if you can listen and then graciously listen and then apologize if you get it wrong and say, I mean, I would, you know, as a colonist, or sometimes like I would get something wrong or as a reporter, I'd mess something up, didn't know I messed it up, or I thought I understood and I didn't. And I didn't clarify it with them and I wrote the thing. Somebody would call and say, I was really upset with how that turned out. You didn't even say um, A, B, or C. And now some other shitty thing has happened. And I would, I would just listen. I, I would feel myself turn totally red, like, oh my God, how did I get that wrong? And then often I would say, number one, I am so sorry that happened. I'm so sorry I did it. I didn't know. I'm really glad you called. How can I make this better? What would help you to make this better? Um, in, in one case, it was very simple. This, this guy, he was a visiting professor at the University of Pennsylvania, big you know, Ivy League University here in the States. And I identified him as a professor, not a visiting professor. In my head, I'm like, professor's a professor, right? Mm. And he was so upset when he came out because it got him and he, the people who had brought him in to be a visiting professor thought he was pawning himself off as some kind of full tenured whatever. He was ready to call a lawyer. Um, and he, he called up and no, I think, I think he, I think a lawyer called and said, I'm reaching out on behalf of professor so-and-so. And I was like, Oh, that guy was great. What's up? You know. And then it was this thing that I got wrong. And I said, Oh my God. He said, so, you know, he's looking into his legal rights to, you know, you could show reckless disregard for the truth. Like I was just a sloppy reporter or whatever mm. that would have escalated everything. And I said, can I just speak with him? I said, I am so sorry that happened. I, I, I'm, I'm mortified. Can I speak with him? And I had his number. I called him up and I said, look, I just heard from your lawyer. I, I'm so sorry. It never even occurred to me that not distinguishing between visiting and professor would have created all that trouble for you. He said, I feel embarrassed. I feel like a fraud and an imposter. People are looking at me like, I'm, I said, oh my God, no, 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 no. I said, tell me who to call. Who do I call? Uh, because you didn't, right? And I was so, I was so falling over myself yeah. to do this. And I could hear him calming down as I said all this, because I think he thought he'd have to fight for his right yeah. to have to have possession of the facts, right? And I said, so anyway, I, I can't remember everything, but I uh the the person, like the dean or whatever who had brought him in, I said, um, give me his number. And I, I was in touch with the dean and I said, this is all on me. Please don't punish him. He's awesome. In fact, you should hire him. Um, and then I said, uh, and we will put a correction in, you know, the paper, because back then it was kind of before the internet, but, or whatever it is, we're going to put a correction and say, due, due to an error made by Ronnie, this was misrepresented. We deeply regret the error. We, and we thank professor so-and-so for graciously pointing out the error. Nice. And it worked. And it's not like I was looking for it to like, look, I mean, I didn't want us to be sued, but I also knew that my only defense was I didn't know. And now that I know I should have checked that. Oh boy. I'm not going to do that one again, you know? <laughs> um, so by 
owning our mistakes fully and graciously and without ever putting ourselves into it. Like, I didn't mean to do that or like, I'm so, but just keeping it on them, keeping keeping it on the wrong that you did to them saying, oh God, I I hear how hurt you are. My heart breaks that you feel that way. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You just kind of hear people out long enough and you got to be sincere about it. And I felt horrible for this man. He was so helpful on the story. He was a great interview. And um, so I think if we, I think if people are willing to be vulnerable enough to say, man, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I certainly have seen that like on enough Twitter feeds, somebody gets something wrong. Somebody else will come back really pretty snippy and say, wow, if you did a little bit of research, you would have found blah, blah, blah. They say, wow, never thought I got that wrong. Thanks for pointing that out. And then the guy might continue and go, yeah, well, you shouldn't have had to have it pointed out. And then they could say, thank you so much. And then you can see other people weighing in and going, cut the guy a break. He apologized, right? So like you can you can turn the tide yeah. so that people are allowed to be fallible and people will let you be fallible if you're also committed to being accountable. Nicely said. No, I think it, these are such important things because it's only going to get more crowded, more noisy. The tools oh. are going to get more prolific they're going to be more yeah. a part of our lives the distinct mm-hmm. the, the, the the distinction between reality virtual reality on and offline is getting less and i think these mm-hmm. are messages and stories and um things um that we can can kind of apply to the to, to ourselves right when we when we approach these situations because Whatever the tool may be, whatever the advancements in the tool may be, however the powerful uh, the the powerfulness of the tool, we end of the day it's humans using them. So if we understand mm-hmm. that and remember that it's that's who is behind that 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 message or that yeah. opinion, I think it's it's essential because otherwise it's just going to be one giant mess of pointing mm-hmm. fingers, attacking mm-hmm. a combative um, arena. So. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, yeah, I think this is really, really good to hear. And I think, you know, for me and everyone listening, I think it's just important to um, recognize and kind of uh, look within ourselves to see, okay, where have we done this? Where haven't we done this? So, yeah, it's been nice. Yeah, and I really, uh, I was going to say, and I really want to thank you for the platform you have and what you are doing with it, because you are bringing courageous um, conversations about thoughtful things um, or thought about, yeah, like thoughtful conversations to things that require courage and curiosity and interest to look at. And you're doing this, you know, week after week with your podcast and more things like this, um, I think really, really help. And, And I wanted to say, I wanted to go back to something that you said about how, you know, comedians can't say A, B, or C. One of the things that I think was really bracing about the comedy you did when, when you spoke about disability, you spoke about your own visual impairment, right? So it was you talking about your disability, not talking about other people's disability. So people saw somebody and um, uh, I hope it's okay to call it a disability. That's just the thing. Yeah, I yeah, like yeah, 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 yeah. But just, Absolutely. you know, the fact that you, you sort of stood there and you were, you were, you, you described what your daily experience is like with such 
um, humanity and humor and also some like like affection for yourself and um, this thing of like not taking it all so seriously. And I think that leaves people like they were really laughing because you wanted them to laugh about that stuff. So they felt permitted to laugh. And plus, you're a funny guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what that does, I think, is that I think those people who left might have left thinking, I think I'm going to laugh more about my own stuff, too, because why not? It's not that serious. Like, I think I'm I'm going to work on being less closed in about who I am and be more authentically who I am. And you were so authentically on that stage being who you were with all of who you were, that that becomes its own example, its own beautiful example of how to be authentic. And I think that's what people want is to feel like they can be authentic. And here you are up on stage laying it all out there. Is there anything more freeing to witness, you know? So, and the fact that you're sort of taking that same sensibility into your podcast is like, what a cool evolution. Like what a cool evolution to do. And I'm really... I'm really so glad you're doing it. And I'm so thankful and, um, and happy to be part of it today. That means a lot, Ronnie. Thank you for hearing mm. from you. Uh, also, based on our last conversation, I, it, it really means a lot. Because I think what it gave me a lot of, uh, it was the last public show I did um, in 2020, that one you spoke about, the one you spoke about. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it gave me a sense of release. Uh, because I, I'm not a brand ambassador for any community, right? I'm the voice and um, I represent what I've lived, what I am, what I am Mm -hmm. not. And that's pretty much all I can do. And um, there's this need for um, flag bearers to take it up for the whole cause or for the whole thing. And I'm like, how dare I go and speak on behalf, not just of one or two other people with a disability, but a community because uh-huh. the only thing that's common between us is maybe lack of sight. That, that's so unfair for me to mm. mask all the other things that they have, which may be unique talents to them or experiences to them or relationships. And how can I go and just use one word, which is blind or visually impaired and mm. undermine everything else that those people are just because this mm. one thing connects us. But yeah. when I do talk about certain things, like what might happen when I'm offered a wheelchair, when I mention that mentioned the airline staff, I'm visually impaired resonates with people who might have experienced that. So I can talk about, the only thing I can talk about is my story and Mm -hmm. my experiences. And that's what I tried Mm -hmm. doing. And it feels good. It feels like, uh, as you said, I was heard for the life I've lived and not um, celebrated for um, some thing that people perceived me as being, which is a a, a, a leader to celebrate or a inspiration to this thing. I just, just wanted to stand up there and tell my story. And it's been three years and um, a little more than three years now since I did that. And that's why I've taken a break from stand up because that person has now become someone else with my daughter being born with mm-hmm. what I, what I, what, what I look at the world with and how I look at myself. And I want that because again, there's this pressure to deliver every six months a new special, a new joke, a new this thing. I'm like, yeah. I want to live some life um, without the pressure of everything becoming a joke. So let me live. Let me look back <laughs> and talk about what that was like. <laughs> yeah. uh, can I ask you? Um, yes. Because you're so funny and you're a great comedian, um, 
how does that impact your parenting? Like, are you just ridiculous with your daughter? Um, mm, you know, <laughs> not yet. I okay. kind of, um, because she's so small and she's still like barely speaking. Um, oh. I, I, I don't, I've never been one of those performers, like doing, uh, making funny noises, making this thing. Um, I do sometimes. Yeah. I, I do enjoy just kind of entertaining her. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's very different from, um, spoken word. So yeah, yeah. it's, 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 yeah. it's interesting, right? Like sometimes I feel pressure. Like I'm like, am I being funny enough for her? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm looking forward to, um, growing up with her because that's going to be, um, interesting to see what she puts out. And she's quite, yeah. you know, got quite a, quite a nature of her, of her own. You know, she does these things where she instantly, uh, like copies you and she, she, oh. she, yeah, it's quite, it's quite this. And I find that making me laugh, which is quite cool. Yeah. It's the biggest adventure you'll ever take. Is yeah. Being a and I didn't want that biggest. to be limited by, oh, you know, she did this. I'm going to make this into a nice bit. Yeah. Let her do it. Oh, let her, yeah. yeah. Let me live through it. There's enough time to get back on stage. And I want, and thank you so much for those uh, reassuring, encouraging words you said, because sometimes when you take a break for three and a half years or three years or whatever it's been, three and a half years, you feel like, oh my God, how can I going to get back? It's been three and a half. I'm missing out. I'm being left behind. Yeah, but yeah. you're not, you know, in reality, it's, you're not being left behind. It's not a race. It's not, it's not an increment of if you one plus one equals two or 10 years in comedy gets you this much. It's maybe it is, but not, you know, if, if that's the only thing driving you, then you're just going to be grasping at straws for material and you're going to be living yeah. for the joke as opposed to living to live. Yeah. It sounds like you're using your own gut as your North star, you know, you're letting it guide you to the next. Trying thing. sometimes and when you have a bad stomach, <laughs> man, the Northern star <laughs> is <laughs> sends you down the toilet. <laughs> right. You're like, Oh my gut's speaking. It's like, no, that's just gas. That's, that's just, just gas. gas. <laughs> yeah. Because clearly the gut sometimes can really um, send you down a slippery slope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, no, that's not your gut. You just ate the wrong food yeah. before that. <laughs> Don't trust that. <laughs> oh, man. Ronnie, it's been a pleasure. And thank you so much for taking the time. I know it's early in the morning. Um, I really wish you the best of luck with everything going forward. And what do you have planned now? Because you, you are doing those stories about people whose who's, um, uh, lives taken a turn for the worse for something which is not in their control. So that's what you've been doing, but what's in store for you going forward? Yeah. So, um, so left journalism, um, at, at the end of 2021 and I had studied a uh, positive psychology. So I'm certified in applied positive psychology. So I'm working on, um, I'm doing groups now, like I'm doing group co coaching, um, about how to use the tenets of journalism to help tell a bigger, better, truer story about whatever is going on for you. So I'm working on that program. I'm also doing a, a lot of keynote speaking around listening and how listening, you know, if you, if you want your workplace to be better, um, all of your DEI efforts won't mean anything if they don't result in increased feelings of belonging, because that's really what matters. Um, so I talk about listening, how listening is the bedrock that runs beneath every single skill that we every single behavior that we value in the workplace like to be resilient to pivot to collaborate etc 
Um, so, uh, so I'm doing that. I'm working with, um, an association who's, um, uh, it's a, an employer's asso- association and I'm doing training for them, uh, for, for some of their clients. Um, I'm also working, uh, with the city. I think I can't talk about it, but I'm, I'm going to be doing something <laughs> right, with right. the city of Philadelphia related to the country's 250th birthday, which is coming up in three years. So I'm going to be involved in a specific project related to that. Um, and working with another woman who is, uh, she has a company where she helps mostly businesses. How do they work through change in their companies and how do they do it by acknowledging the emotional impact that change has on human beings anyway, and how how well you acknowledge and deal with that can really impact whether or not that change is a success or if it falls flat on its face. So I'm kind of like, I'm kind of all over the place, uh, but it's, it's, it's all sort of in the same ballpark, you know? Um, and nice. uh, it's fun. It's just fun. That's great. I love to this stuff. I love talking about this stuff, as you can tell. <laughs> Brilliant. No, I'm so excited for you and um, yeah. excited to have you back you. on the podcast in the near future. Maybe in a few months, we can yeah. catch up again. So I look forward to that and look forward to all the work you're doing. And thank you so much for taking the time today. Oh, you're welcome. It's really good to be here. Thanks, Sophie. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you heard, please do check out the other episodes on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. And I would much appreciate it if you could like the video, share it with people who you think might enjoy it. And of course, do subscribe to the channel because it will help me and the podcast grow and reach more people just like you. So thanks again. Appreciate it.